On today's podcast, we went so deep on the path of the sacred whore as part of a two-part series that we're doing on this specific path that 25% of the world's population is on, but will not know it. We also talk about love spells and how you are the one giving those Danny Masterson, Bill Cosby vibes. We go into Kat Von D and the great return to Jesus moment that so many celebrities have had, and a little bit about the Beckhams at the end. This episode goes really deep and is really triggering for anyone that has had religious trauma. But if it's triggering, you know that you're going to have a big breakthrough on it because the sizzle is so real right here on The Intuitor, Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Love you. You've reached The Intuitor, where we use celebrity scandal as a vehicle for deep inner work. Join me, Onami, for all the taboo teachings, spiritual secrets, and celebrity gossip you can't help but love. The sizzle is so real, only on The Intuitor. And starting in three, two, one. Oh my gosh, you guys. I got my podcast microphone finally. I started doing this podcast just because I was super excited about it. I'd been meaning to work on it for a long time. And when it came through, it just all came through at once. Um, but then we immediately went to Costa Rica and I didn't have any of my gear. So congratulations, everybody. You can hear me like swallowing now. And I actually even brought this little thing for you guys one second in case you guys wanted a little extra treat for the podcast i do have this wonderful little asmr brush for you anyways we've got a fun episode today we're talking about eh, just a mishkalange of all the different tea that we have but i wanted to answer this question that somebody asked me just right now on tiktok and it was if i can please expand on the path of the sacred whore a little bit more and in next week's episode we're going to be talking all about this we're going to be discussing pamela anderson because i'm reading her memoir right now and she has a few of them but like she's actually so dope and I felt like it would be really relevant and really on brand but I wanted to have all of the tea you know I don't want to blow an early load so I have her book right here on my nightstand and that is my pleasure reading you guys know from um, the Q&A that we did on Friday for safe house that celebrity memoirs are like my secret power and that I always learn so much from listening to them and reading them and actually one that I read that was surprisingly good was Miley Cyrus autobiography that she wrote when she was like 16 years old because I have a Sagittarius daughter and and learning about who Miley Cyrus had to become like at such a young age and the roles of her parents and everything was actually super interesting and I really recommend that as well so just discussing briefly the path of the sacred whore the sacred whore is a very specific archetype and a good you know person to look at for this role would be mary of magdala or mary magdalene now as a lot of you people know mary magdalene was you know painted in the king james version of the bible as being this like prostitute that jesus took pity on when actually she was a high priestess in the temple of in the temple of isis and she is who taught yeshua about the sacred 
triple X magic that he needed to really complete his mission. So I know a lot, you know, so many times when I post about Jesus or the Bible, they said, oh, I stopped listening immediately at that. That's called a buffer. A buffer is something that absorbs a shock and a shock is something that you need to awaken. So basically you have this little personality tidbit. That's not you. It's your personality. Your personality pretends to be you and you believe it. So you have this little piece of personality that says, oh, no, 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 no. I never touch the Jesus stuff. I never touch the Christian stuff. And believe me, I grew up in a doomsday cult. I ran away when I was 13. I know about the contempt for Jesus. But when I tell you that even though the Bible is an exoteric piece of literature that has been translated and retranslated to benefit whatever political agenda was going on in the moment, and very, very patriarchal, that it does have mesoteric and esoteric properties. So what I mean by that is that there is a code in the Bible, not like the Bible code, but there is codes within the Bible that are not understood by people that are just in the audience. And these codes are hidden within the psychological parables of Jesus, these different metaphors like Jacob's ladder. And to just discard the whole thing is to say that, you know, there's nothing going on there. And to discard Yeshua as a teacher and to discard Mary Magdalene simply because they're in the Bible. Um, this is just your own resistance and this is your buffer. You're saying, I couldn't listen. It's like when people say, oh, I just couldn't listen to anyone with a forehead tattoo. Well, that fucking sucks for you, honey, because your parents told you when you were little to never get a tattoo because you wouldn't get a job and you still believe them. And the answer that you're looking for is right here with someone with a tattoo on their forehead, but your little piece of personality says, I couldn't possibly listen to this because I've been so effectively conditioned by my parents. And then the existence of somebody that has tattoos on their face, but is making a lot of money living on their own terms and being free is very challenging for you because you're so jealous because you really, really want that. But it violates a rule that your parents put on you, that their parents put on them that goes actually all the way back to the Bible. So you are living by the Bible while insisting that you don't live by the Bible. And this is what conditioning is all about. So if you have any buffers around, if you're like, oh, I just can't listen to anything about Mary Magdalene, or I can't listen to anything about Yeshua, uh, I just want you to put that down because it's actually not coming from you. It's coming from your personality, which isn't something that you really want to be running the show. So Mary Magdalene was a sacred initiate in the Temple of Isis. And the initiates in the Temple of Isis were taught about sexual magic. And Yeshua was the first teacher to go through the death portal. So basically how it used to be from a, from a teaching perspective is that people could be taught about what to do in their life, what to do in their life, but not how to go through death and come back. And the Egyptians had this technology for a really long time because that's the core story of Osiris. And the story of Jesus and the story of Osiris are very similar. And so even in the Egyptian, there's Atum and there, there's Atum in the Egyptian tradition and there's Adam in the Christian tradition. And when we get into mesoteric teachings, we realize that all of these different books are pointing at the same thing, that all of these different philosophies are actually talking about the same origin story. And so... Mary of Magdala, the initiate of Isis, was here to teach Yeshua or Jesus how to go through the death portal. Like basically there, it was just emptiness black and there needed to be a teacher that went through and left little light posts so that other people that died could come through and regenerate. So this idea of regeneration or reincarnation 
is in some religions and out of others. So like in the fourth way lineage, they teach recurrence that until you consciously change your life, that you're born over and over again in the same life, in the same conditions like like Westworld. And the card of the judgment and the tarot is, is discussing this concept that like people that very consciously engage with their lives have the ability to go from this life into another one, which is more advanced with more opportunities. But the people that don't will either just boom, it's done, the end, or they will recur and come back born to the same parents on the same day over and over again in in the slice of time until you learn the lessons that you're here to learn. And, you know, ultimately nobody can prove what happens after life is over. You know, it's all nobody can prove, but if you've had experiences with the unseen world that let you know that, uh, you know, death is not the end, then those really change you forever. So Mary Magdala was like this really, really essential role in Jesus's life. And also like was the only person who really understood his teachings. A lot of Jesus's disciples felt like when he was talking about the kingdom of heaven, that he was talking about annihilating the Romans and that he was going to be like an Arjuna character, like, you know, a ruthless warrior that was going to decimate all of the opponents. And then, you know, Israel, Israel would rise again type of situation. And Mary Magdala was the only person that really understood that what he was talking about was like the psychological, that it was going to be psychological shifts that happened. And, you know, people didn't want to hear that because they wanted to see, they wanted this, you know, be like, yeah, we're right, you know, you see, look. And so when Jesus was crucified, that was like very embarrassing for a lot of his his followers because they thought that something like that would never happen to, you know, this person. And Barbara Walker, who's a really amazing teacher, she has a book called The Woman, she has Barbara J. Walker is her name, and she has her own tarot deck, and she writes a lot about symbology, um, the secrets. I forget what the book is called, but it's something about like women's myths and secrets. It's really, really cool. It's where I learned about drinking menstrual blood. Um, but she was the first person that I had ever studied with that discussed the idea that, that Jesus was not, you know, like the son of God, but he was, um, Jesus studied with the Essenes and the Essenes were like a pretty cool group of people. They were like vegans. They lived in like Galilee. They were very peaceful and, and spiritual study was like the majority of what they did. Um, You can learn more about them in the Essene Gospel of Peace, which is really cool. And it's actually Jesus explaining how he does his quote unquote miracles through fasting, meditation, basically the same like we learn in fourth way that you can do a miracle by building up force and then adhering it to whatever uh, you're wanting to solve. Like basically you can you know, if somebody's dying, you can give them force and heal it if you have a surplus of that force. But if you don't have a surplus of force because it's constantly being drained by you being in a crappy mood or in a state of chronic physical tension, or um, it, it takes a lot of work to build up a force. But when you have a surplus of it, you can use it however you want. And for any creative project that you're doing, you're going to need a surplus of force. So it's pretty important early in your life to identify the things that drain your energy and to absolutely stop doing them to to absolutely stop doing them if you notice that anything that you're doing results in you feeling drained or tired afterwards then you need to stop that or you're never going to do anything useful in your life whatsoever because consciousness is like a seed that needs to grow and a unified law of this earth that we live on is that everything needs extra care in its beginning stages so babies need to be watched and nurtured and breastfed and and just you know you have to really really take care of them because they can't live on their own and 
And as they get older, they need less care. The same with, you know, if you're trying to grow a tomato plant, those seeds need a lot of nurturing and space and cultivation in the beginning. But once the, the plant is sturdy, it can grow more. You and your relationship with your consciousness. Everyone wants to believe that, you know, we just have a soul that we can walk around in life being like fucking dickheads. And then on our deathbed, be like, I'm sorry. And, you know, oh, great. You know, now you go up. It, it, it doesn't work like that. You have a soul, sure, but you don't listen to it. You don't listen to it. It's like a tiny little voice from the basement. Let me out, let me out, let me out. You, it, it doesn't have any ruling over what you do in your life. Your personality bosses you around all day long. Your mind and your body don't listen to you. All spiritual teachings that you have access to are based on this assumption that you are the boss of your mind and your body. And technically, it would be great if that was the case. But you sit down to meditate and your mind says, oh, no, 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 we've got to be anxious about this thing. It doesn't listen to you. And your body says, I'm hungry. We have to go do this. And you say, okay, I'm not going to pick my skin today. And then on autopilot, you know, next thing you know, you're sitting in front of the mirror fucking going crazy on your blackheads. You say, I'm absolutely not going to call this person ever again. Then two hours later, you're doing it. Your mind and your body don't obey you. And we walk around like we're these proud owners of a really of a functioning machine when actually the machine is bossing you around and you have no control over it. You have no control over it whatsoever. This is a massive liability. And so something that we teach in the fourth way, and this is what we do objectively in 10 steps in my workshop, Mesoterica, is we go from your mind and body bossing you around to you being able to see the degree to which that is happening so that you can change it and then we change it. But you can't break out of prison if you don't know that you're in prison. And if you are in prison and you're walking around saying, oh, my mind and my body work for me. That's the only gatekeeping that there is in consciousness. That's the only gatekeeping that there is in consciousness is that you cannot wake up if you think that you're already awake. And in the age of information, this is something that people really struggle with right now. So eyes open, eyes open, honeys. So Mary Magdala trained Jesus. Jesus was an Essene teacher. And the Essenes basically every 100, 200 years would send forth an emissary of their teachings to be like, hey, you know, let's just go tell everybody that, you know, let's go show people what we've learned and let's demonstrate some of these different miracles that we do, et cetera, et cetera. And that they would send a Jesus out every, you know, every 100, 200 years. And that person would always, it was, you know, like a, a sui mission basically, because people would be, would reject this person. Other people would inflate them and say, you know, this is the son of the Messiah. He's going to come and annihilate all the Romans, etc. People would just project their, their own values onto the neutral teacher. And so the, the Barbara J. Walker was the first person who introduced me to this concept and people like, you know, it's always helpful if you're struggling, something that we also discuss in Mesoterica is like the, um, how difficult it is to leave behind a dualistic religion because to leave behind the religion that you were conditioned with. And if you grew up in any English speaking country, you have Judeo-Christian conditioning. It's epigenetic. You have Judeo-Christian conditioning that needs to be overcome. And when you transcend into enlightenment, when you go from believing in like good and evil to the belief that everything just is, you can't do that without quote unquote pissing off the God that you grew up with. And if you're afraid that the God that you grew up with is pissed off at you, every time you don't get what you want, you're going to think that you're being punished by that God that you were conditioned with. 
And so it can be very tricky to detach yourself from that. And that's what contributes to schizophrenia in so many people. Schizophrenia is like holding on to, you know, let's imagine that there's two cliffs next to each other and that your hands are holding on to the edge of one cliff and that your feet are clinging on to the edge of the other cliff and you're, you know, about to fall in with everything that you can, you're clinging on to the known when what's really required is for you to just let go. And, and fall into the to- totality. But it's the clinging on to that little scrap of what you can remember instead of free falling into the totality. That's what's cr- that's what creates schizophrenia. And schizophrenia is just like a rite of passage in any esoteric school. They're always somebody that's going through this schizo means split personality split between personality, thinking, perception and memory. So you no longer see yourself as the anchor between your, the the eye goes away, which is a part of awakening. The eye goes away and now we have these detached quadrants, the perception, the memory, the thinking, and the personality. So it's no longer like I perceive, it's like it perceives, the personality, its personality, its memory. There's not a you at the core of it. You're just like, wow, the soup of the mind is really the soup. And it's not just your own mind. You know, it's the collective consciousness, the collective unconsciousness. And this is just a rite of passage in spiritual schools. But And there's no way to treat it from a Western perspective. You can't, believe me, I've seen people try to make this go away. You can't unsee once it's been seen. You can get electroshock therapy or ECT, as they call it now. Any amount of antipsychotics, Raylar, whatever the hell is available. It's none of it is going to work. You can't unsplit what's been split. It needs to be it needs to be integrated and in spiritual schools they always had a place for this to happen. But people that are really stuck in duality, there it's it's always helpful to remind yourself that, you know, in the Christian religion, and this is what I teach my son, you know, when he's like, what's Christmas? <laughs> this is going to sound funny to you guys, but you know, he's like, what's Christmas? Christmas is where is in the Christian faith, where they celebrate the birthday of who they believe in the Christian faith is the son of, of what they believe is the one true God. And Christianity is one of many different world religions, but it is predominant in America where we live. And they celebrate it at this winter holiday, um, which is similar to what they do in the pagan tradition with solstice. But in the Christian religion, which is one of many world religions, they believe that Jesus is the son of the one true God and that he was born on this day. And that's why everybody celebrates. And just remembering that it's one of of many paths and in all of these different religions they believe that their god is the one way truth and the life and when you realize that that not everybody believes this yet they are still okay it kind of helps to put things into perspective that there's more paths than than just this one and so because it's very challenging, the whole Christian narrative rests on this one piece of propaganda that like Jesus was the son of God and he died for your sins. Like he didn't die because of, you know, anything, but he died specifically so that like you can have eternal life, which is, you know, <laughs> a thing. It's a thing. But because they refuse to to discuss him as being a highly trained teacher, even though in the Bible it talks about, you know, he went and he, you know, he trained with these teachers and these teachers who's a highly trained teacher, and Mary Magdalene like brought that out of him, the final frontier. 
they they said that she's a a hooker that that jesus like felt bad for and you know oh jesus is so great for taking pity on this hooker and that's just not anything so that's the original archetype of the sacred whore that's the you know i'm sure there were ones before and there will be but that's when we when we talk about the sacred whore archetype we're talking about somebody who is very high and very holy that has a extremely painful story and history with being sexual and being beautiful and it's the public it's it's the public narrative to try and smear it's like malena like to try and smear and besmirch and and make dirty this very sacred high and holy art that is actual magic and when you're on the path of the sacred whore you experience a lot of difficult traumas in your life especially in relation to sex and you're always told that it's your fault and that you made it happen and that you know and this is your life is basically telling you that it's not safe to experience pleasure and that every time you're beautiful or you move towards your pleasure that you're horribly shamed and punished and then told that it was your fault and there's a lot of self-loathing and and a lot of pain and, and what you're here to do is learn how to overcome that and experience true pleasure and not only that but to be a beacon of pleasure to the rest of the world and this is the hardest thing i'm on this path so i attract a lot of people that are also on this path and we did the lana del rey episode about this but when we do pam anderson next week you guys will get to hear a lot about this as well so um but i'm telling you Shame is the biggest block to receiving more in, in all areas of life. So more money, more time, more love, everything. It's the home of going into more than enough. And if you want to know more about this, the Svadhisthana module of Wheels Reinvented is specifically targeted towards this. Um, but because the path of the sacred whore is just way more shame than the average person would experience, way more sexual trauma than the average person would experience, there's the 25% of people that are, you know, the 25% of women that are molested by a family member in childhood. And, and there's also men on the path of the sacred whore as well. It's just that like the sacred gigolo or like the sacred deuce or the sacred uh, um, <laughs> deuce bigolo, the sacred Casanova is not uh, terminology, but we should definitely open that up the same way that like, why are they still calling it a bachelor's degree? Isn't that so strange? I just realized that the other day, but there's definitely a, a capability for men as well. But when you overcome, like it's the biggest block that you'll have to remove, but it comes with the greatest rewards and the greatest benefits. And it's, if you're on it, it's the hardest path that you can be on. And every time that there's like an obstacle in your life, rest assured that that obstacle is, is shame in one of its many forms. And the, the reason why shame is so hard to overcome is because the first rule about shame is like, don't talk about shame. Don't talk about shame. Don't talk about that thing that happened to you. Because if you, it's like a, 
It's like Howl's Moving Castle, where Sophie, where Sophie has the curse put on her that, but she can't talk about the curse. And she thinks that she's so ugly, but actually it's just how she sees herself. And when she's sleeping, anyone here loves Howl's Moving Castle? It's my favorite of all the Studio G movies. It's how she sees herself. And if she was just able to talk about it and say like, hey, I have this fear that I'm an old, ugly lady that nobody could ever love, then people would say, what are you talking about? You're beautiful. You don't look like that at all. But the first rule of shame is that you're not allowed to talk about shame. And when you talk about shame, like for example, for for decades, I had repressed, I, I knew my entire life in my, in my cells that my brother had molested me when I was a child. Like I knew that, like I had these fragmented memories. I knew that this is, had happened, but I, I wouldn't let myself think about it. And I wouldn't let myself talk about it because I was so ashamed. I felt like if I, if I admitted this to myself, then all of those ways that I like blamed myself for it, because I did report it when I was younger, but I was a little baby and my brother blamed it on me. And so everyone was like, you're so dirty. You're so messed up. You sought this out. And I just absorbed all of this. And then as the abuse went on and it was this thing where it's like, well, all, you know, I was, I was living in a cult. I didn't have my parents around. I was in a home with like 60 kids. I was totally alone because all the kids were bracketed off by age groups. I didn't know that I had anyone there, but my brother would sneak into my room and I, and he would do things to me, but he was, he was like, you know, I'll love you forever. You know, we'll be super, we'll be super close. And it was this like love bombing and withholding thing that was just the only love that existed in my life at that time. And so I said, I didn't, you know, I, I stopped fighting and I just let it continue. But over time, I convinced myself that, that me, a child that didn't know what any of this stuff was, had this idea and that it was me that was asking for it. And there was me that's deserving of it. And for years, I just would not let my, like I feeling physically like ill and I'm really fearing that I would be, I would be K-I-L-L-E-D if I spoke up about this and, and the deep cellular fear that my life would be in danger. And, and for those of you that have had these traumatic experiences in childhood, it's like, why am I so afraid of this? It's because no one did these things to you and said, Oh, go tell your mommy. Now go tell your mommy what we've been doing in here. They say, don't tell anybody about this or this will happen or this will happen. In my case, I remember my brother looking at me and saying, I'll kill you. I'll kill you. If you ever say anything about this. And that fear, the, the fear of a two and a half year old being like, oh, I can't do this. It's not, and just instantly believing that it was okay for me to believe that then, but to believe that for life was becoming a problem, was becoming a problem. And so I was so afraid to speak up about these things because I felt like I would find so much more to be ashamed of. But when you speak up about shame, you realize that you never had anything to be ashamed of in the first place. You didn't do anything wrong. Something fucked up happened to you. Just because something fucked up happened to you doesn't mean that you're dirty. doesn't mean that you're fucked up. It means that something fucked up happened to you. And when something fucked up happens to you, especially on the path of the sacred whore, it doesn't just go away, baby. There's not some magic pill that you can take or some epiphany that you can have that'll make this go away. You have to talk about it and then you have to change your behavior because your unconscious behavior for your whole life was saying 
that it's not safe to want what you want and that girls like you only get to have things like this and this is the best that it's going to get for you and you need to say yes to everyone and everything and never prioritize your own pleasure and everybody else comes first except for you and it's a behavior change that's going to need to happen you're going to need to start living differently in the rest of the years of your life you're going to have to stop saying yes to things that you don't want to do absolutely with no explanation i don't want to do it so i'm not going to do it you have to start keeping your word to yourself because you haven't been there for yourself for so long and that's not your fault that's not your fault you were told that who you are is bad therefore what you want is bad which made it impossible for you to listen to your intuition that's okay but it's behavioral shifts that are going to have to happen. We're going to have to change who it is that we're being. And this takes dedicated practice day by day. And every day it'll get a little bit better. And the beautiful thing about slow and steady results, if you lose a bunch of weight on Ozempic, you'll gain a bunch of weight back as soon as you stop. But if you lose it slowly and steadily, if you lose your shame slowly and steadily, it can never come rushing back. It can never come rushing back. Now, the problem is, is that until we heal this shame on the path of the sacred whore, you're going to keep attracting situations like this over and over again. You will continue to be abused. You will continue to be violated. You will continue to feel shame. You will continue to be told that it's all your fault. It's your responsibility to to change it. And when you can accept that responsibility and say, whew, it doesn't matter if it's fair or not, but I'm going to have to do more work on shame. I'm going to have to do more work to feel the the base level of pleasure than anyone else with a quote-unquote normal life will ever have to. I accept that. I will work harder than everybody else I know on this. I accept that. I'm not going to whine about it not being fair anymore. Whining about it not being fair has not made me feel better and I want to feel better. I want to get that sacred whore bag. I want to get my fucking bag. (laughs) When you accept that, you can start working with it. So what's the first step to healing this? Accept that you're going to have to watch an hour-long video for free on my YouTube. The first 40 minutes of it is going to be exactly the constellation of issues that are rooted in this one core problem. It's basically like an express method of of the Svadhisthana of this, the Svadhisthana module. Um, but it, it's going to point out all of these different areas of your life that you didn't know were connected that is all coming from this root of shame, uh, specifically in relationship to earnings, specifically in relationship to pleasure. Uh, and something else to know about uh, this path of the sacred whore is that it's not the, the path of the, you know, the sacred you know, pleasure machine. It's a path of the sacred whore, which means that a lot of times you have your boundaries and your standards where you say, I won't do this. This is not something I want to do. But when someone waves money at you, you're like, <gasps> okay. And, and that's something that you have to be really conscious of. Like when you say to yourself, not for any amount of money, will I take a client like this? You really need to stick to it because when I say it'll blow up in your face, whew, I will never, I sure hope that I've learned this lesson because I, you know, I've, I've had clients where I'm like, bro, bro, <laughs> no, like not ever again will I do something like this. So it's important to understand and stick with that. Anyways, you go to my YouTube, Mommy Onami. Just look up Mommy Onami Shame on YouTube and a video will pop right up. First 40 minutes is diagnosing the problem. The second 20 minutes is a ritual that you can do to really 
move that shame out of the way and you'll feel different right away. That's the thing about all of my work is that I believe that spiritual work should be easy to understand. So I speak it in your language, that it should be practical to apply, that there should be tactile things that you can do. You always get a homework recap from me. The homework recap for this one is go watch that video and do the homework in it. Homework recap. Here's exactly what you have to do to make this move and then give results that you can feel right away. This should not be a gets worse before it gets better situation. That's just, that's like skincare propaganda. Most things do not get worse before they get better. That's like some fucking bobo shit. Gets worse before it gets better. What? No. You should feel it working right away. And in this video, you will feel that working right away. So I'm happy that we got to do this introduction. I feel like every, you know, 25% of the world will be on this path and of that 25 percent maybe one or two will actually pursue it as a calling that means there's a very big bag with your name on it the money's already printed you just got to go and get it (laughs) okay so why is my lip like this people so this is a question that i get a lot of something that i used to have a lot of shame about when i was younger Um, When I was younger, I was always teased about the size of my lips. And I didn't realize, path of the sacred whore life, I didn't realize that people were jealous. I just fundamentally thought that I was so dirty and so unlovable that this was just something that people like, that it was just one more layer to how disgusting I am. And now I realize that people were jealous of how I looked. And so they, they tore me down any way that they could. They took the parts of me that were beautifully different than them and said that, you know, here's one more thing that's so wrong with you. And for a long time, I believed them. And then someone, I didn't realize until somebody told me on Instagram, like something that I love about you is that you have this crack in the middle of your lip. And the beautiful thing about like naturally large lips is that they are understuffed and not overstuffed. So when people have lip fillers, there's no creases or wrinkles or anything in their lips because they're just packed full with filler anywhere that they can be. But my lips have this really beautiful crack down the middle of them because they are enormous, but they're still understuffed. So there we go. Thank you so much. All right, you guys, should we get into here? Let me tell you what we have on the agenda today. And can you guys give me a little bit of love, a little bit of affirmation in the comments? Because sometimes I'm like, you know, I've been talking for 30 minutes about the path of the sacred horde. Were you guys really just here because you wanted to listen to Kat Von D? Were you really just here because you wanted to hear about the Beckhams? Or are you guys down to learn these little side octaves with me? Because very essential for growth. Uh, But let me know. So I have this other note that I wanted to hit on here, and it's the the concept of love spells. Anybody, the easiest people to scam in magic are people that want a love spell. Easiest people to scam when it comes to magic are people that are looking for a love spell. And the reason why is because you're saying that you love somebody so much that you have to be with them because you love somebody so much. You love them so much that you want to psychologically drug them because in their right mind, they don't want to be with you. So you are down to spend as much money as possible to psychologically drug them. It's giving Danny Masterson. It's giving Cosby. It's giving roofy doofies like 
you don't love somebody. You, you don't love somebody. You have like a rapey attraction to them. You're basically putting something in their drink. Now, these are, it's just, you know, everybody that plays with cursory magic knows that this is the easiest way to make a buck because these people will just keep coming back and keep coming back. You know, like you can give them whatever. You can say, okay, cool, take a potato, carve their name into it, put it in water, put it in a cool, dry place. And as the roots grow, so will his love. You know, yeah, that's how you sprout a potato. You know, it will grow, but when you believe this, you'll like keep checking on the person being like, Hey, you know, just popping up on your radar to see if you're in love with me. And they give you, you know, one word text back and you say, yeah, it's working, you know, and then they go out with someone else and you say, Oh, I must've done my potato differently. So you go back to the lady, you go back to the aborisha, you ask for more spells and on and on it goes. And like, this is not love. And so what I like to tell people when they come to me for a love spell is like, I can do it. I can do it, but it's going to, you know, it's going to make you unavailable. Are you sure that this person that needs to be drugged in order to want to be with you? Are you sure that this person is your soulmate? Because if I do a love spell for you guys, um, you're not going to be available to meet your soulmate. You'll be bound. It's a binding ritual. So you're going to be bound to this person and you're not going to be able to be available for your soulmate when it comes. I had to turn so many people down because I know these spells. And when I have a fucking spell, bro, I'm telling you, it is sealed. That shit is sealed. I had to turn so many people down from erotic wealth and you would be so like, people got so pissed with me. I'm like, yo, don't try and big dick a witch, baby. Like, don't try and come and get up in my fucking face telling me how it's going to go. Like my no is absolute. I'm on the path of the sacred whore. I know all about saying no. And people say, I'll give you this much. I'll do this much. I'll be mad at you. I'll tell you you're a bad person. Blah, blah, blah. That shit doesn't work on me, babe. My no is absolute. My no is absolute. And I said no to so many people on erotic wealth because I'm like, look, you're trying to, to mate with somebody on the higher planes. That is not your person. Like this is not your person. Yes, you're comfortable. No, you don't want to move out. Yes, the relationship's cooled off. Yes, the erotic is dead, but this is not your person. And how do I know it's not your person? You wouldn't be telling me these things if they were not your if they were your person. When they're your person, you know on a very deep level that what you and this person have is special, that they came to you in a way that's like truly different. And you have been with them for a while and you've built things together. You've had children together maybe, but you are, it, it, it's different. It has a different taste and it's already stood the test of time. And now the erotic is cooling off. What I do is I help these people that have already made, you know, basically they made it on the higher planes, but they're missing some of the bridge. So if we were to put it within like the, the, context of the chakras you know they have the higher attraction they have the lower attraction but none of the bridge in between and that's what's lacking and so we're we're, we're rebuilding those connections so that they can mate on all of the planes because magic doesn't happen on the physical plane it happens on the astral plane it happens on the causal plane it happens on the psychological plane like the it's it's not something that's existing in in the world of you know the the senses what you can touch with your fingers and what you can verify as being real because it's something that you can you can touch just because you can't touch it doesn't mean that it's not real 
you know, space is the other half of the fourth dimension. There's time and space. Space has three properties, just like time, true time has three properties. So the three properties of time are the active, the passive, and the neutral times, which we talk about with flow. So all these different ways to be in flow. I teach this like every time, so I'm not going to go into it here. But in space, there's proximity, something's close to you. There's distance, something's far for you. And then, and then there's presence. Just because it's not near to you or far from you or even within your eyesight doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. It exists somewhere. And it's as real just because you can't see it doesn't mean that it's not there. It's really understanding and this is what we work on in erotic wealth because it's not just about and, and autoerotic wealth as well, which is like if you're not with your mate, you can do this with yourself. There's duofocal sex magic, which is couples, and there's monofocal sex magic, which is singles. But it's not just a workshop about sex magic. It's also about wealth creation. It's also about understanding the true nature of time because you can't do fifth dimensional magic if you don't know how to pull these fifth dimensional realities, these worlds that you want to create. They need to be pulled to you throughout the, the fourth dimension of time and space. And if you don't know how time and space actually work, then you're just filling your head with knowledge about how the fifth dimension works and none of it is applied. And the people that you're looking towards, you know, they're like, oh, well, you know, we all have these fucking high level conversations integrating our ayahuasca experience yeah well why the hell are all y'all wearing patchwork pants and why does your guru live in a fucking tent you know we're all gods time isn't linear really looks like that's working for you Anybody that's achieved actual success magical levels of success has understood how all your dreams are contingent on on space and time working in your favor and when you understand how to manipulate space and time correctly they're malleable they can be moved the same way that that you can you can work with length height and depth to create the things that you want to create like you just really have to understand how the, the fourth dimension works and so if you're asking for a love spell it's giving Danny Masterson, and I know you don't want to hear that, but that's literally exactly what it is. I would much rather you be mad at me and get the truth than like me and, and get ripped off. So, and if anybody offers you a love spell to no, run, be like, I don't need to trick people into loving me. <laughs> okay. So there's something else. Let's move on to Kat Von D because this is relevant to what we were talking about regarding, you know, dualistic religions and Jesus and Mary Magdala. Kat Von D is just another one of those celebrities that's having the like return to Jesus moment. And this is lasting like an oddly long time for her. It's not going to last forever. Um, but when people are having a return to Jesus moment, it really is a return because they grew up with this conditioning, and then they, you know, if you don't know how to break up with the God that you were conditioned with, that shit's going to come right back around. And Trump with QAnon, he he's obsessed with Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich, which a lot of really successful people are obsessed with. But in Think and Grow Rich, Napoleon Hill said that nothing has more power over the American mind than Christianity. That not, Let me say this very slowly for you. Nothing has more power over the American mind than Christianity. So if Donald Trump says, I want to have power over the American mind, 
What can I use to have the maximum power over the American mind? Christianity. Now, what is modern Christianity for? Jesus. What is, but the thing is, is that when you're using propaganda, all propaganda is black magic. All propaganda is black magic. And the best way to be immune to black magic is to know exactly how it works. So study it, which you can do in my course, The Enneagram, which will be launching later on this month. We're just getting a couple things fine-tuned in the background, beautiful visual audiobook for you guys and making it extra beautiful for you guys. But we have wonderful resources for you. Um, but the best way to be immune to it is to study it. If you don't, and when people are worried about, you know, being manipulated on social media or tracking, the only thing that social media can really do to you when it comes to manipulation and tracking is make you more susceptible to propaganda is to make you very reactive. Like you see a video and you say, what the fuck? This is so messed up. Or you see a video and you go, oh, I love this. It's, it's being able to know what will get someone riled up and to rile them up. So the main way that people use this as like a political tool is to create revolt in countries that they're, you know, actually like not living in is to sow discord and chaos and other, there's like the main way that that works. And that's why, you know, America was so fucking sketched out about TikTok is they're like, TikTok could get Americans pissed off at America. And that would be very detrimental because if you have a fucking country that's in civil war, they're very susceptible to further attack. And also, you know, it's something to be aware of on TikTok is the quote unquote, like mental health conversation. Every day I get a different, every day that I'm on TikTok, I get a different thing saying, oh, you know, you're definitely autistic. If you do this, this and that, you're definitely BPD. If you do this and that, I thought that I was a Capricorn, but actually it's BPD. Yo, you guys, I check every fucking box for every type of mental illness Every, You know, you could, you could put me in friggin' sanity tests and I would fail every single time. And even this American life, years ago did an episode on this called like the psychopath test. And this is when Instagram was new that they did this, that every single person would fail. You know, they had everybody on NPR doing the psychopath test and they all, you know, they all failed. These things aren't real, but if you have a country that cannot trust their own minds, you can't trust your own mind, you can't trust your own desires, you can't trust yourself, then you will look for anyone to tell you what you should be doing because you have no way of knowing for yourself what you should be doing. And so I'm really going to encourage you right now to start to put a filter around that mental health conversation because it's not, they don't fucking care about you and they don't care about your health. And especially around this like maternal mental health thing where it's like, look, if you're not taking X amount of time for yourself every single day, then, you know, you're, you're prone to postpartum psychosis and all of these things. And that when, when you're working 12 to 14 hour days with your children every single day, you have to find a way to care for your health alongside your family. And there are many ways to do this, but a good way to, to not do it is to be taking TikTok with you everywhere you go and, you know, trying to be present with your kids while also reading stuff about how, you know, you, these are symptoms of, di of divorce. So it works on a collective level, but also on a personal level. And if you're being shown a lot of something and it's starting to get to you, it's making you insecure about your parenting. It's making you insecure about your own state of mind. You need to recognize this as being something that is draining your force 
and you will never be able to do anything if you have an absence of force. If you're noticing a hangover in any sense of the word, that is a symptom of drained force. It means that you are not progressing in the way that you need to be. If you have a hangover from alcohol, if you have a hangover from, you know, smoking weed and playing video games all day, even just one day a week, if you have a hangover from that, you need to be aware of it. And if you have a hangover from watching too much TikTok and that hangover is starting to impact the way that you think about yourself and your capability as a, as a human, this is something that you want to be really aware of. So Kat Von D grew up Seventh Day Adventist. She grew up Seventh-day Adventist, and she speaks full Spanish and everything. Her mom is 100% Latina. Her dad is German, and German, I believe, von Drakenberg, I think is her last name, but they were doing, like, missionary work in Mexico, so very, very, very religious. So conditioned with that God, conditioned with this, you know, whole, whole idea of us versus them, because that's duality. Us that believe in the Son of God, yay! Them that believe in Allah, ooh, ooh. and that like friggin' kink for the annihilation of other civilizations that believe in a different God than you, like that's the real get down with Christianity. Like that's the real get is like, it, you're not dreaming about heaven for you. You're unconsciously fantasizing of how bad it's going to be for everyone that didn't move to Indiana with you, you know? So, and I think I like, I, I love, I love Kat Von D and I've seen this happen to a lot of people. Kanye's a really, really good example of this, but when things are, you guys have to be able to understand the unique time that we're in and, and the, the effect that the pandemic had on the, the collective consciousness. The pandemic was a very big dose of the unknown. And it was very like this happened to everyone all over the world is, you know, from one day to the next, you're not allowed to leave your house. It's a very real and imprisonment and there's a lot of fear and there's a lot of divide and who knows what you know is this a govern government engineered disease is this an actual crisis that we're all in you know what's going what's going on in the world and this is that moment of schizophrenia you know where it's like you're clinging is this right with your hands clinging is this wrong with your feet clinging and what you're meant to do is just release both and, and fall into the, it is, it just is. It's not good. It's not bad. It's not right. It's not wrong. It is, this is happening, whether I like it or not, it's happening. But that means flinging yourself, not just into the unknown, but into the unknowable, which has always been, which has always been what is going on on earth. It's always been uncertain. It's always been unknowable. Whether you like it or not, that's how it is. When things happen like this, that shunt the collective into an experience of like, we don't know now, we don't know what's happening. There are people, it, what you're meant to do is surrender to the unknown. But what usually happens is that people default into the known and the familiar. Now, the most common explanation that people have for unseen forces or the unseen world that we all know exists, we just can't see it, is their religion. And so when we say it doesn't make any sense on the earth plane what's going on, but maybe we could understand on the psychological plane or in the unseen forces what's going on, what you're meant to do is into the totality. But what usually happens, and this happened to me, I literally lost a year of my life getting fucking mad about shit 
being like, we are, you're the reason that we're all on lockdown, even though I lived in rural New Mexico anyway, because that doomsday conditioning, I thought that it was my intuition telling me that things might blow in the cities one day, but actually it was just doomsday conditioning and it didn't matter how it was, it was, I was entering the unknown. I was about to give birth to my first child. And I said, I have to create a known environment to make me feel like I'm in control of this new chapter of my life where I really don't know what the hell I'm doing. And and nobody can teach me because I'm about to have a kid and everything's going to change. So I was like, let me cling to the rock of ages, you know, and let's raise them in a safe place without any of these influences. And I just like living out in the sticks. Like I don't need a doomsday threat to validate my desire for living where I want to live. Validating a desire is like cutting shame up little bites of your life and hand feeding it to him. Instead of just being like, I want it because I want it. It's like, no, you need this. You need it. And you can't have what you want. Girls, like you don't get to have what you want at the very best. You could avoid disaster through rigorous use of control or the illusion of control. And, and that's, that's just not true. But so it got me and that's why I'm able to to speak to this with such clarity is because I <laughs> takes one takes one to no one and I was not like if if Kat Von D left rebelliously when she was 17 I left rebelliously from Mexico as well when I was 13 I was like fuck all y'all and I only was able to leave at 13 versus 18 because I got myself excommunicated through attempting to end my life and so that was the only way that I could get out like I was guns blazing I was like I'm never looking back at all of the I had never drank that Kool-Aid but I was living in Kool-Aid I was living in Kool-Aid and just because I wasn't drinking it, like this was never something that I ascribed to. I was like, these people are weird. What we're doing here is not normal. I was conditioned with it and you have to understand the effects of conditioning. Like there's the problems that we're aware of, you know, that's all great. It's the problems that we're not aware of that really get us. And that's why like my workshop wheels reinvented where I'm like, you, you can't pick and choose with the childhood traumas, which ones you want to work and which ones you don't. You have to have a checklist of all the ones that need to be solved because there's some that you're down to do. And then there's ones that you're really not down to do. And those are the ones that you most need to work. What you most need to find is where you least want to look. And you have to know this. Let's take a little break for my little... For my little people that love to to listen to this on podcast. And just so you know, you know, if anything ever gets cut on TikTok, you can get this podcast wherever you podcast. So that's what happened to Kat Von D. You know, things were going down in the pandemic and all of a sudden it's like, oh, you, I know what this is. I know what this is. Let's return to Jesus. This is what's going on. And there's always, and there's always some like, you know, leader behind it, some new preacher that's really speaking to you. And the way that they're really speaking to you is like, yeah, we got to do this. We got to do this or else we'll end up like them. And you don't want to end up like them. We're seeing this go down. We're seeing little boys becoming little girls. We're seeing all, you know, and, and it's actually that hate that is keeping the whole practice going, not love for God, it's hate for the devil. And this is how propaganda works. It's not love for Trump, it's hate for the pedos that are taking over the world. And and trust me, the blue side has its own propaganda machine going. You, you guys are aware of that. Anytime you're seeing a really staunch narrative anywhere, anywhere on any topic, that's propaganda because we don't live in a this and that 
existence. We live in a, in a triangle. There's always a third force. There's always something. And I don't not, like, I know that people are talking about Israel and a lot right now. I don't, I haven't, I was like, oh, wow, is there an election this year? That means that it's been four years since I've given any attention to what's in the news whatsoever. Um, but I've heard a lot of people talking about Israel and stuff lately. And I don't know what the, what the bottom line is with any of that. You know, nothing happens on earth that has not, that is not supposed to happen. But I do know that Palestine's only ever fought to defend its own borders, that they've only ever fought to defend its own borders and like being its own country. Um, I don't know what's going on there. I don't know what has happened. I don't know what will happen. I just know that historically, Palestine has only ever fought to defend its own its own borders. So that's that's that. But all all politics are black magic. And if you're ever seeing a staunch narrative, you really seek to to listen to the other side because it's there's three sides to every story. So it's not listen to the other side, it's listen to the other sides. Listen to the other sides. It's not Israel and Palestine. There's Israel, Palestine, and then there's something else that's neutralizing the whole discussion. And I don't know what that is because I haven't researched or looked into it at all, uh, like literally at all. So I have no idea. But there's always a third force. So it's like if you're hearing the about the conflict of if you know just to throw something to the wall, if you're hearing a lot about the the Israel and Palestine conflict, but none of us are in either of those places, then where we're hearing about it is social media. And social media is what's neutralizing this 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 actual conflict like we're able to observe it but from a distance but through what lens because ideally we'd see it from the spiritual perspective which is like they are fighting not they should they should be they should not be fighting they should not be fighting but just like they are fighting without trying to change it without but if we're looking at it through the lens of social media then we have to ask ourselves you know who who's providing this lens and what side are they on because there's really no right or wrong it, it just is. But if you're getting a very strong sense of like, this is right and this is wrong, is first of all, draining your force because whether you like it or not, it's happening. You can't control it. It's happening. Whether you like it or not, it's happening. But if you have like really strong, especially if you're feeling it in your gut, like really strong reactions to things that you see online, then the propaganda is working and it's working on you and it's draining your force and it's rendering you unable to do your good work and the people that are pumping these stories into your mind don't care if you achieve your goals or not because you're a lot more pliable if you don't have something solid that you're building up force for so you need to be aware of this the word propaganda comes from the word propagate and propagate means to cut it just like how we propagate a you know a vine we cut a piece of the vine off and we go and we put it in water to give it that extra cultivation it needs to grow a strong root and then we can take this piece of a plant off the mother plant off a larger agenda off a larger narrative we can cut this piece off of our plant we say we want this outcome and we can take that we can plant it somewhere completely different but because it already has cultivated roots it can grow like a weed wherever we plant it so propaganda propagating the truth to a lot of 
you know, words that we throw around, if you just look up the definition of them, for example, surrender, uh, you'll really learn the lesson that you've been, <laughs> that you've been wanting to learn. So Kat Von D threw out all of her tarot cards, all this, blah, 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 blah. Her husband, you know, his name is Prayers. And they had, you know, I just imagine how fucking cringe that her renewing her vows is just the next step because her red dress with her horns and everything like that, she probably, probably very hard for her. Um, but there's nothing that the Christian faith loves more than, you know, like a reformed, uh, a repentant sinner, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So but I'm sure Kat Body is probably having a pretty damn hard time with her wedding photos. She's blacked out all of her tattoos and is like, I'm going to raise my kid differently. And this is, you know, it's, it's kind of embarrassing to have lived through as many, you know, quote unquote doomsdays as I have. And I, I wanted to make a graphic novel when I was really young called like the day after the end time, because the amount of times that my parents, you know, put us to sleep and see you in heaven tomorrow, you know, like Y2K and stuff, washing our feet. And we're going to sleep with fucking sheets on to I, I should write this short story I'm gonna make a note of it in my phone um the day after doomsday let me do this right now so I don't forget it because that is a very funny story that's gonna make it into one of my books for sure uh I wanted to have a book called small tales and that's definitely gonna be one of them But after you've lived through a couple doomsdays, you know, ideally you wouldn't fall for new ones, but it's, it's only breaking up with the God that you were conditioned with that helps you to step away from that. So that's what's been going on with my queen, Kat Von D. Sorry, Kat Von D, but that's just how that goes. Um, there was one more thing that I wanted to, oh, let me put on here because I have my, we're getting to the end of this. Okay, so I have a couple like rapid fire things on here. Oh, but I just wanted to let you guys know, this isn't the, anytime there's a big like collective moment where everybody's in the unknown, like what the fuck is happening? There's always people that stand up and say, this is what's going on. And these are the cult leaders. These are the charismatic cult leaders that are like, I know. And they just tap on all of that, you know, conditioning that you didn't know that you had. And they always have some kind of doomsday story going on, whatever it is, you know, and it's interesting because the racism like always comes up, you know, and we're, you know, white people aren't going to be the chosen one that always comes out the homophobia always comes up anytime you come across any book or anything that gives you some kind of suggestion of like us versus them just close the book you're not going to get anything useful out of that just just close the book it's not going to do anything for you um but the last time that this happened on a really big scale was with vietnam because the vietnam war like the draft was so extreme and it was actually so unfair like how they pulled people for the draft was really crazy and it wasn't actually randomized like if you were born in the month of December you had a much higher chance of being drafted and nobody knew what they were doing in that war and you know speaking of propaganda people are like oh JFK our hero JFK was the first one that started really advocating for sending more troops to Vietnam like America has to get involved with this conflict in Asia because it's a threat to America like how you know, how was it a threat to America? And there wasn't social media back then, but it was like, you know, where are you being pumped this narrative that we have to go and intervene in this war that's happening all the way over there? And why do, you know, and Lyndon B. Johnson, who was sworn in literally on the plane after JFK was assassinated because they had the paperwork there on the plane. They had the paperwork there on the plane on Air Force One 
Why would they have the paperwork on the plane to swear in Lyndon B. Johnson? How did they have that ready already? Because the assassination happened like while they were in the air. So how did all that go down? But Lyndon B. Johnson had this big speech where he was like, mothers of America, like why should you have to send your son and the flower of their youth to die for the country over there? And some big fucking spiel about why it had to happen that way. And if we're looking at this, you know, okay, so we have the narrative of Vietnam versus the U.S., but where is this narrative taking place? Is it over the radio waves? So who owns the radio waves and what outcome do they want? What outcome do they want? Are they like, are they for the war? Because if they're for the war, of course, you're only going to hear things that are for the war. If they're against the war, you're only going to hear things that are against the war. But if all of the radio stations at the time were for the war, then how could you get information of why this was such a bad idea if it was being like pumped into your head all of the time? And Americans particularly have this real sense of like, we got to stay on top of current events because this makes us a good person. Like, it's something that's very unique to America is just this like ravenous appetite for the news. And Gurdjieff, you know, Gurdjieff, who's one of my main teachers who taught all during, like taught during the Bolshevik revolution in Russia, like that's where they were based out of. And then moving into other countries like France um, at the Priory, all while World War II was happening and they never spoke once about the war like the bolshevik revolution was causing them to relocate in so many different countries constantly on the road constantly having to relocate not on the run but just like and this is what we're doing we're leaving our beautiful location into another one and they never once spoke about the war they never once talked about it they never once addressed it it was not the elephant in the room because they were all focused on building their force and nothing is going to drain your force faster than being obsessed about things that do not directly touch you that are out of your control. Nothing in the world is easier to bear than the suffering of others. It's not your suffering. You're not helping them. It's like, oh, I just can't sleep knowing that people are over there. That's a fucking you problem. That's a you problem. JFK wanted peace, says someone here in the thing. All politicians are black magicians. There is not one single politician that is not okay with pressing a red button that annihilates thousands and thousands of people. This is why Marianne Williamson will never make it into office because she's saying maybe we could do this without a red button. No. Bad people make good leaders because there is no good, bad, right, wrong. All, 100%, AOC, any politician, RFK, any politician in the entire world is a black magician that understands how to use the tactics of fear and control to get what they want without fail. And if JFK wanted peace, he would not have pumped American soldiers into Vietnam, period. If you are finding yourself being attached to or rooting for a politician, you have been manipulated. You have been, they got you. 
They got you without fail, no exception, period. All right, rapid fire. Oh, but anyways, so that, so anytime things are unknown in the world, all these people come up saying, oh, I know where this is going on. And then you have cults and, and cults need to find like a new narrative to be able to keep pumping members into it. Because once you've been through a couple doomsdays, it's like, okay, you know what now? <laughs> okay, what now? And that's just, uh, that's just how it goes. So someone says here, if someone, and this is a really good example in my questions of somebody using a potential scenario, a very dramatic scenario as a buffer to avoid absorbing this teaching. So instead of being like, this could be true, let's create a scenario that has so much fear surrounding it that it could scare me out of learning what I most need to learn. So this is what this person says here. If somebody killed your kids, would you immediately think it's not bad or good? It just is. And my answer to you is whatever happens in my life, I will deal with it in that moment. But if I'm in a plane and it's got a wing on fire and it's crashing and I have five minutes left to live, I'm not going to spend the last five minutes of my life worrying that I'm going to die in a plane crash. If I'm going to die in a plane crash, I'm not going to spend the last five minutes of my life worrying that I'm going to die in a train crash. I mean, plane crash. And if I'm here right now living my life, teaching the objective truth to the best of my abilities, transcending out of the dualistic thinking of good, bad, and right, wrong, I am not going to take into consideration that maybe one day someone might kill my children and it'll make me think that everything that I know to be true and everything that the ancients have taught us is true and everything about higher teachings and everything that my life rests on, I might find that to be horribly untrue. If my kids, if somebody killed my kids, I'd be fucked. Of course, I'd be fucked up. I'd be fucked up. Of course. I'd probably even off myself, of course. But I am not going to spend... This life where I am so alive and my children are so alive and so healthy, worrying that one day somebody somewhere might kill my children because I have a very big mission on earth and that shit drains my force. (laughs) No problem. And you have to be, our fears, you've never been in control. This person says, that's my biggest fear. Thank you for addressing my question. You have to be really conscious of this part of you that you love that has crossed arms. That's like cynical. That's like, yeah, but yeah, but what about this? Or what if this happened? That voice wouldn't let me like stop drinking alcohol because I was like, what if I go to Italy? How will I not be able to drink wine in Italy? And ultimately I just had to bring it to today. Right now, drinking wine doesn't work out for me. And when I'm in Italy, I'll decide when I'm in Italy. But I'm not going to drink my face off today because one day it might be hard to say no to whatever red to the table wine that they have in Italy. Because even the table wine's so great in Italy, how could I even say no? When I'm in Italy, I'll, do, I'll, I'll, I'll make my decision then. But now that I've been sober for as long as I have, I, I don't need... Italy is not wine to me. I would be able to enjoy it just as much without the wine. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. So I wanted to thank you all so much for being here. On the next episode, we're going to talk about Pam Anderson. I had some other notes on here, the Beckhams, Gigi and Bradley Cooper. Beckhams are in an open relationship. We'll discuss open relationships in next week podcast because so many celebrities have them and and I'm not for open relationships I'm not against open relationships open relationships when they work obviously work I don't think any of us could look at David and Victoria Beckham and say like what they have is not working because look at what they have and their family is their whole brand you know that's their that's their whole thing so if they weren't happy like they wouldn't be together doing the things that they do all the time. And maybe it is all an act, but we want to be conscious of like, and this is hard to do in like the tabloid world because we always want to investigate. We want to intuit it, right? We want to like go even deeper into it, but we have to be conscious of this part of our mind that like has to poison something that's working because we don't understand how it could work or it like triggers our own our own issues no way these two people could be this happy they have to have something else going on and sometimes that thing that other people have going on is an open relationship is an open relationship I'm personally too jealous for something like that and and I feel like with so much discussion about like polyamory and open relationships nowadays that like monogamy is really getting tossed to the side and monogamy really is a you know that it 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 it's very Christian fundamentals, but I feel like there just has to be someone out there. And that someone is me. Someone that's like, look, like if you want to do open relationships, do it. We definitely broker those conversations in our workshop, erotic wealth. Like you, it's not about doing it. It's about being allowed to do it. That helps to free up the taboo and helps to free up the kinks. So you can move on to, to other kinks. And if you're not allowed to talk about it, then, you know, you'll never get through it under any circumstances, but I feel I, I'm really happy that I can show people that are interested in keeping it within their marriage. There's certain levels of magic that you can only get to with a partner you completely trust. And oftentimes an open relationship becomes that way because of a breach of trust that needs to be. It's like we need to find some way to be able to make me okay with you cheating on me again because I'll just never trust that you wouldn't cheat on me ever again. I have to find some way to like be okay with this. You can't mate on the higher planes unless you have a totally sealed container. And if there's breakages of trust, then then the container is not sealed and, and that higher mating just cannot occur. Um, so I want to thank you all so much for being here. Let's just look at some of these. I'm at one minute and 12 here. Someone here says, if you have a retreat, I want to go learn and grow. If more people want to do that, reach out to me. But something that I'm really work, I, I double down on online teachings because I don't believe, I, this is just from my personal experience, but people that are really great at in-person retreats kind of suck at online school. And people that are really good at online school sometimes suck at retreats. Like, I love online school. I It's my absolute favorite thing to do. I'm not a festival girly. The idea of going to retreats and stuff, I love, I, no. I like doing things on my own time. I like being able to do literally everything on my own time. And I like the comfort of my own home and not having to commute or like go anywhere else to get these things done. And so I really like quadruple down on my online education offerings because when you come to school with me, it's not like me filming myself in a classroom and the people that are here are having a great experience experience and you get to listen to the recording like it's really designed for an online experience so like for example when you're in my school safe house 
you don't, there's not like a live Q and a on Fridays that you have to attend. If you want to ask me a question, like you can text me on the Q and a chat on my app, a question anytime that you have it. And then know that that question will be answered on, on Friday. So there's no reason, like I, I don't make people come to live time things and you'll get the best experience if you can make it live or you get a shit experience. It's all designed for that online customer. So I love you guys so much. I had a wonderful, I had a wonderful time being here today. I will see you guys next Tuesday at 11 a.m. for the Intuitor. And until then, I bring you all the love that you need on this week. Bye. Love you all so much. Love you all so much. Love you all so much.